Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Big news this morning. It is mid-May. Mid-May, but Nick Saban already has the red ass. And I mean, when does he not have a serious case of the red ass, right? He always does. However, last night's rant was peak just beat an FCS school by 60 and fans were leaving early. Red ass. That's how much of a red ass. Last night's rant was the kind of bile that you would normally hear after a bad practice in September when the dictator gets asked how good his team is. But instead of talking about rat poison or lecturing the media or the fans about how they should act He was going on about five letters, just five letters, N-I-L-A-N-M, N-I-L-A-N-M. Remember when SEC coaches used to kind of look the other way or at least not take flamethrowers to each other? Yeah, well, those days are now officially over. It's done. That pact has been shredded. That code no longer exists. It's over. It'll never be like that ever again after today. Now, it actually kind of started back in February when Lane Kiffin got off this great line. I didn't know if Texas A&M was going to incur a luxury tax and how much they paid for their signing class. I mean, that's vintage Lane. A great line. Great line. How do I know it's a great line? I know a great line when I hear a great line. How do I know it's a great line? Because Fisher got a case of this cereal ass when he heard it. And when Jimbo's red ass flares up, and it did this morning, and it's awesome, I'll get to it, but he's already on record. Like, when, he's get a, when he gets a flare-up of the red ass, we all win. Who will ever forget him going in, going ham on sliced bread on Bro Bible back in the day? This is garbage. It pisses me off. And here, it comes from a site called Bro Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. So it's written on the internet, it's gospel. When I first heard it, I laughed. I said, oh yeah, what a clown. I mean, somebody named Slice who made it up. Love to see who Slice Bread is and put it out there with Slice Bread. Let me find out where it comes from. And Slice Bread, and Slice Bread, and Slice Bread. So my man's like, wait, who is this guy, Slice Bread? And he just put it out on the internet. So when Jimbo's got something else to get worked up about, he will, he'll go. And his old boss, Nicholas, opened up another can last night, which brings us to where we are right now. Nicholas opened up a can at an event with local business leaders in Birmingham. Check out the Nictator. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player. But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. So it's, uh, it's tough. He just came right out and he said it. They bought every player. Alvy, one more time. Run that back. They bought every player. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team. Made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to I- sustain that in the future. Because more and more people are doing it. So it's uh, I, it's tough. Not only did they buy every player, we didn't buy one player. So he didn't just bring a gun to a knife fight. 
He brought a surface-to-air missile to a knife fight. A scud. A daisy cutter. Hell, he just rolled a tank right over Jimbo, backed over him, and then dragged him all the way back to Tuscaloosa. There is so much in there, and it's all hilarious. First of all, it's hilarious that Nick Saban is complaining about something being unfair or that somebody's got an unfair advantage or there's an unfair playing field. Nick Saban is complaining about that. You want my response to Saban going in on Fisher? Here it is. Listen to him calling out A&M for buying every player on their team because he would never, ever do anything like that. He would never, ever buy a team. He would never even buy a single player. Hell, not a single player. You know why? Because Nicholas and Alabama are about everything that's right in college ball. Integrity, honesty. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. Just the process. Just the process. Those other dudes who are kicking our ass suddenly in recruiting, they don't have a process. Well, they do. Their process is just stroking checks. Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Well, we're playing by the rules of the NIL game. The rest of them, no names mentioned. Fisher, Dion, Miami basketball, et cetera, et cetera. They're just stacking cash while we're here stacking integrity, honesty, and molding young men. (laughs) Good one, Nick. I got to be honest. I mean, like this guy, the Nick Taylor, he is the GOAT. And I respect the dude a hell of a lot, in fact. I just don't like him a hell of a lot because he's not a hella likable guy. At least I didn't until right now. Because now that that dude has spit all that fire, the dudes that he's coming for are looking to give the old man the hands. Starting with Fisher, who you knew, you knew was going to snap when that worked its way back to him. And he did not disappoint. He took an absolute flame torch to his former boss. It's despicable that we got to set her this level of ball and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to set up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it's and it personal to us? Yes, it is. It's personal to a and it's personal to our players, it's personal to our coaches, and everybody involved. And I know the guy. know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. Oh, hell yes. Man, I am here for it. It is despicable. This guy's sitting up here like he's God. Go look into how he's done it. Go look into the way God has done it. Oh, hell yes. This is almost as good as anything that we're going to see on the field in the coming year in the SEC. I know this already. Of course he's unloading on Gramps. We already knew the legendary red ass that Fisher had. And then what do you expect? 
when his former boss comes right out and says he bought his entire team, you knew that serial ass was coming from Fisher this morning. And you know what the best thing of all to me in this whole thing is? The best thing of all was Saban knew exactly what he was doing. It was premeditated. None of this is an accident. He was not shooting from the hip. He didn't go off all half-cocked. It wasn't a case where he didn't know that he was on the record. He knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly what he was doing. This dude never rolls without an agenda. He never says or does anything without intent or a purpose. This was not something that was recorded that he didn't know about. It's not like where he went on this little Debbie bender and lost his mind and didn't know that he was being recorded. He knew he had a microphone in his hand. He's always strategic. So if you ask yourself, why? Why? Where did he get out of that? Why did he do that? I'll tell you why. A couple of reasons. Number one, Texas A&M to him are a bunch of money-chucking frauds. He wants you to know that kids are not going there because they think they can get better or win or go to the NFL. He wants you to know that he thinks they're going there because they're getting paid to go there. And number two, and more importantly, if you Alabama boosters don't start ponying up big bucks, I'm going to be really pissed. Actually, I'm already really pissed. And if you dopes don't get off your asses and start scratching fat checks, the losses will be on you, not me, because I can't do this on my own. You boosters and you business people better start going hard on NIL because I'm not going to sit here and watch my former assistant kick my ass in recruiting. Those dumbasses at College Station can't even get a 10-win season, but you're letting them kick our asses in NIL. Snap out of it. Shake yourselves. Scratch the check. Do your part. Do your job. I mean, of course, the guy can't come right out and tell everybody, start writing checks. But if that's the conclusion that every Crimson Tide fan in that room and on the Internet are going to come to, Saban is not going to turn down that money. You see, his beef is not with NIL. It's with the fact that he's getting beaten in recruiting thanks to NIL. Saban said that one of the problems with NIL is, quote, Coaches trying to create an advantage for themselves. End of quote. Are you kidding me with that, Nick? Isn't that the whole job of a coach? You're supposed to create an advantage for yourself and your program? Is that not what coaches do in every single aspect of their job? Create advantages? Tell you what. What's funnier than to hear coaches complain about NIL? Because they don't even know what to complain about. And they end up falling back on some crap about college sports and amateurism. As if we're in the 1920s and not the 2020s. And of course, Saban went there too. He said that he fears that at some point it's all going to come back. Quote, they're just going to say, we're going to have to pay players. End of quote. You know, you listen to Saban, that's like the end of the world, right? And how funny is it to hear a coach who's being paid, say that players being paid would wreck the whole thing. 
fine for me to get paid millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, but if the kids get something, it's going to ruin the game. Did I miss something? And is the coach now coaching for free? Is this dude coaching for free? Is he doing those insurance commercials for free? Is he staying at Alabama because that's the best place for him to develop as a person and a coach? Of course not. He's there because he agreed to an $85 million contract extension. What I'm saying is, pretty bleeping rich for a pretty bleeping rich dude to be complaining that other people are making money at the thing that only coaches have made money on. Rich as hell and awesome as hell. So Saban fired the first shots. Bazooka blasts, actually. And then Mount Jimbo finally erupted again. Hey, Dion, where are you? What you got, Dion? You're next up. Jimbo. Jimbo accused by the dictator of buying everyone insists that he's never bought anyone. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen, and it's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top, and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. You know what else is also hilarious? Jimbo trying to get up on that high horse. The two of these guys both. I mean, it's so great. Jimbo trying to get up on that high horse. Yo, Jimbo, have you tried to run down your old boss? Have you tried to track him down and find out what's going on and what's up? Have you had any contact with Nick since? No. Uh, oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call? Not going to. We're done. Okay. And uh, He shows you who he is. And then I just wanted to. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted to. When you got all the advantages, it's easy. No one close to you should have to endure that dreaded knock on the door. The knock that comes from a police officer who must tell your loved one that you were killed in a car crash. It's a message that gets even worse when they learn that your death may have been prevented if you had only been wearing your seatbelt. The simple fact is, regardless of what type of car you ride in, seatbelt use is the single most effective way to stay alive in a crash. That's why the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is spreading the word, we want to raise the profile of seatbelt safety so we can save lives. So, whether you're going on a cross-country trip or just up the street, please buckle up. Don't risk it. And remember, click it or ticket, brought to you by NHTSA. Adam Jones. Adam, it's been too long since you and I last spoke. What's going on, man? How are you? How's your life? Good, good, man. Thanks for the great introduction and then just disconnect. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's my dude. It. It's been a while. That's what I'm here for, man. That's what I'm just trying to pick you up. That's what I'm here for. I'm just glad you heard that great introduction before I disconnected you. All right, so it's been a while. It's good to have you. You played in Japan for the past two years. You wrote this yeah. great piece for the Players' Tribune this week about your time there. And in the piece, you flash back to when you were really young with the Mariners and you were just trying to stay out of Ichiro's way in the outfield. Let me start right there. What was Ichiro like as a teammate, and what did you learn from him? 
he was awesome. I mean, and just awesome. He, he the way he carried himself, uh, he dressed a little different, but at the time that that was when like uh, you know the skulls just he's like before the skulls started. He used to wear these tank top shirts, sleeve. I mean, obviously shirts with sleeves cut off and skulls, and I'm like, uh, nobody's wearing that yet. But um, he just was just awesome in every facet of it. I just watched him, and and uh, Jay Buner told me my very first day of spring training. He said, hey, kid, congratulations on everything. Shut the F up and listen. Be a sponge. And walked away. And me, at 18 years old, I just said, okay. And I watched everybody. I just listened. I tried to just learn from every single person. And, you know, once I made the change to center field in 06, and I'm taking drills with each row now, I just marveled and watched every action that he did. And I just tried to emulate him because he just came off winning five straight gold gloves. So it's probably somebody you want to emulate. All right, so one question in. I'm reminded of how much I miss you, man. Adam Jones joining us. What a great <laughs> response. So, like, when he was playing and he was preparing himself to play, like, what did he demonstrate to you specifically on what it meant to be a professional and how to stay focused on the task at hand no matter what it was? Be prepared. Um, I mean, we all got a lot of things going on in life. Um, obviously, him coming from Japan to America – uh, his main focus uh, and only focus here is probably baseball as opposed to uh, we have a lot of family and different things going on, but he still can have those, those problems like everybody else. But it's, it's just focus, attention to detail. And like I put, wrote in a piece, by me going to Japan, I got to, like, my, my idea of what was going on was solidified by seeing how the Japanese work and their attention to detail. It's a little bit annoying as hell as I'm a little bit older and I ain't trying to do all that work, but – they work their tails off, and that's why Ichiro and a lot of the, the Japanese players that have been fortunate enough to come over to America have been successful because of work ethic. We're talking to Adam Jones. So, Adam, what about that? Like, the opportunity to play in Japan, where did that come yeah. from, and how did you and your family do in your time in Japan? What was that like for you and the fam? Well, my, my agent presented me with the offer. <clears throat> he was like, yeah, you know, they're coming at you with a one-year deal. And I was like, you know, I'm going to stay. Let me see if I can uh, – latch on with a team here let's see and then he came back a couple of days later he said they got a two-year deal and i said hmm, well uh, that's a lot more interesting let's see what more they have and it we came to a deal that you know talked to my wife i could not turn down um but the coming weeks were that was the hardest part because i had to i had to decide december 10th opposed to you know a lot of guys sign now into february into march and I'm like, well, I just gave up all that. And it kind of was weighing on me. So <clears throat> I just was trying to, you know, uh, take that into consideration, understand and look, I'm, I'm going to a great situation, take advantage of it. My wife was, it was the first one, hey, we going to Japan. So just like, get your act together and let's go. We're going and enjoy, we're going to enjoy it. So obviously having my wife is the biggest support system and just my family, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, uh, agents, you know, friends and, and, and all the people that's in my circle that were just like, hey, man, this is a cool experience. Only thing that sucked about Japan was COVID and no one was able to come over there. But uh, besides that, like, I'm trying to tell anybody that has the opportunity to go over there, go. <clears throat> it's great money, first off, because that's the reason why you're going. It's a fantastic experience. If you have kids, they're going to they're gonna have an experience that not that, you know, that I never had that uh, my wife did. She got to live in Paris as a kid, lucky. But um, <clears throat> just exposing your kids, exposing yourself to something completely different. And if you know me, I'm a foodie. I just it marveled myself in there. As you can tell, I gained a little weight. But that is okay as I just care about golf. 
Adam Jones is joining us. Man, this is so great. You know, it was tough enough, Adam, for everybody here to deal with COVID. To your point, COVID hits during spring training of your first season. And as you write, quote, it ended up being my wife and our two boys in an apartment, the four of us figuring everything out together. Like, on the one hand, that sounds like that might be the best thing ever, and it could bring a family together and you can bond. Or it sounds like it might be the biggest challenge ever. How did everybody respond to that, and what was that like? Well, it was kind of like you have no choice. I mean, it, it, we're, we're thrown into the fire. Like, I mean, we had plans, everything. I get over there late January, plan. I mean, over there, me and my brother-in-law, we went over there. He came over there together with me just to get acclimated and stuff. And, and he gained some weight, too, eating all the damn sushi and beef. So, uh, no, it, it just came together. Just like <clears throat> no decision is made by, by myself. You know, once, once we got married and then obviously having kids and you know, buying a house, like, you know, like they always say, I buy, I buy the house, the woman makes it the home. And <clears throat> that, that's the truth. You know, if you don't have a support system behind you, uh, it, it makes things so much tougher. And my wife has been there since day one. And, you know, now that I'm done playing um, t- tentatively, <laughs> uh, she has the opportunity to take the reins. She started her travel company, Access Travel. And she is just doing her own thing now. And it's cool to see, you know, her and like me, she just left us to go to Greece for eight days and it's daddy daycare. And, you know, I'm trying to tell my kids, Hey, don't tell mommy that I just gave you all this kind of stuff. And the first thing they do is tell mom that dad gave them. So it's fun. It's the, the other side of it is fun. And I've talked to a lot of people the last couple of years about, you know, obviously the transition as I got to 32, 33. <clears throat> and a lot of people said this part is actually a lot funner because, you know, all the things that you didn't get to do, you're going you're gonna to get to do. And just don't try to do everything in one day because you can't. That's great. Great advice. Adam Jones joining us. Let me skip ahead to game five of the 2021 Japan series. That game's tied, mm-hmm. Adam, 5-5 five, five in the ninth. You come off oh, the yeah. bench to lead off the inning. What do you remember about that moment? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I mean, the whole game was I'm sitting on the bench going inside because my family's there. You can see in the, in the clips, they're four rows back. I can talk to them. I'm looking at my kids eating ice cream back and forth, like eating ice cream third, fourth, fifth inning. Like, hey, man, you can't get that many ice creams. And, but just interacting, having fun, but also staying loose and staying ready. <clears throat> so my, my opportunity comes up, man, I, but I'm ready. I told, the, I told our manager every single day, Jamata Nanakaine means I'll see you in the seventh inning. And meaning I'm ready. I'm basically I'm ready for you. The situation that's going to arise for me presents itself after that. I'm ready. Believe it. And I got up there, and I said, look, I can only hit Americans, to be honest with you. Uh, And it was an American pitcher. And um, me and him, we had internal battles and jokes and stuff because we got to know each other, McGuff. And, you know, he was just like, hey, I'm going to challenge you if the the situation arises, itself." And I got 2-0, and I didn't miss it. As soon as I hit it, I knew it was gone. And um, I went into my trot. And when I got to the end of the dugout, you know, and I seen my family right there, and I seen my wife screaming, my kids. <clears throat> jumping for joy, I see just just them going crazy. It just was like, if this is my – and then obviously we played another game, but I'm like, if this is it, like, how much how, – how, how, how can I top this? Obviously I want to win. I want to win the World Series. I mean, there's so many great players that have never won. King Griffey Jr., never won. You know what I mean? So it, it, that part of the game is, is not out of my control, but having my kids see that, having my wife experience that, and then having – Tons of friends send videos and all that kind of stuff. Like that, that I'm, I'm good with it, man. It's 
it's beautiful. It, it, it is, it's been a great game for me, for many, many people. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I'm just – I'm content with what I did, what, I, what I've done because I played my ass off. And, you know, it's these young kids. It's their, it's their generation. It's Cedric Mullins' turn. It's, uh, you know, obviously Mookie Betts is already established, but it's, it, it's his turn to pass the torch to the next dudes in some years. Like, it's just it's, – it's time for my – it's my turn to pass the torch. And, you know, I'm, I'm 100% okay with it. Adam Jones is joining us. I want to follow you up on that in one second. That that moment was amazing. I mean, that was a 2-0 pitch that you just absolutely hammered over the left field wall. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that hundreds of times from you, but to see your wife and sons in the stands right next to the dugout celebrating was so awesome. You know, you've had an amazing career. As I mentioned, a five-time All-Star. You have four gold gloves. You had that incredible catch in the WBC, but you wrote that nothing yeah. beats that <clears throat> moment. Like, what was it that yeah. made that moment so special? Well, I got to share that moment with them. Uh, I got to share my, my, that moment with my family. The Gold Gloves, the All-Stars, that is a culmination of my teammates pushing me every single day to be better. My, the pitching staff, they, I mean, hey, they're giving, me, they're giving me chances to go run back and catch some balls and make plays. Um, my middle infielders make, making great plays. It, it's a team effort for those <clears throat> individual accolades and all that kind of stuff. But this moment, even the even the WBC, I shared that with I shared it with the with a whole America. Um, my son was three, and one was and the other one was one. So, I, but I didn't, they like they didn't get to enjoy that. They got to enjoy this moment, and it's crazy because you know I, I can tell my kids, hey man, you see these trophies, you see this, and they look at me like, yeah, whatever, Dad, I can beat you in a race and all that because they're older now. I'm like, yeah, whatever, but because but. They see me the last two years playing in Japan, not playing a lot and whatever. But they also have an understanding that I was that dude for a little bit. So I just got to sometimes I got to remind them like, hey man, you, you don't you don't uh, you know you don't you don't have me waking up making breakfast for you every single morning just because you don't go to private school just because, okay? Respect me. Dude, preach. <laughs> I still get that, Adam. I get that from my kids sometimes. Like, I, I tell the story, Adam. One day, one of my kids said to me, yeah, you were a pretty big deal once, Dad. I, I know back in the day, you were a pretty big deal. I'm like, yeah, really, Junior? See that house? Yeah, you see that life? You see that? You see all that? Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're talking exactly. about. So the piece, the piece was so thoughtful and reflective, and you said tentatively, but you sound like you're done. You sound like you're a piece. Are you officially done? Is it official? I got nothing. I got nothing left to give. <clears throat> Only thing I got to do is, I guess, put put in my paperwork. I guess. I mean, there's nothing. Uh, again, I, I'm, I, I said, my wife gives on me all the time. She's like, you never want to use the word. You never want to say this word. Just just say it, okay? You got there golfing every day. You ain't playing. Um, but, again, somebody foolishly could be like, hey, Adam, <clears throat> were you willing to wrap something up? You never know. Hey, you hold out hope. And then if nothing happens, then you can use the word. But, again, I just say tentatively because – the fat lady is, 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 is drinking her tea, drinking her tea, about to walk to the stage. She's warming up. So, yeah, she's warming up. Man, them vocals is warming. The, the curtain's about to open. All right, so I'm not going to use the word, but if, in fact, this is the thing. So what are you going to do, yeah. man? Can you play golf every single day? Is that a good life, or do you have another plan? What are you going to do? Well, I can't play golf every day, but I can play a lot. Uh, playing, I mean, I've just been working, trying to, you know, I want to perfect another craft and get better at another craft. But my wife has told you, started a travel company, Access Loves You Travel, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to take some time off from the schedule. Like I said, 19 years of professional baseball on a schedule, <clears throat> every day of my life 
of my adult life has been baseball, baseball, baseball. Now it can be my kids. It can be my wife. But they come first. Obviously, they come first no matter what. But in, in terms of professionally, so now I want to I want to travel with her. I want to I want to be with her and just go everywhere she's she wants to travel to and you know and then eventually I know that's going to just tire itself out but hopefully I can get back back in the game somehow some way you know if if it's through the MLBPA if it's through the commissioner side if it's through a a team but uh, or even if it's through uh networks MLB network ESPN or Fox I think that uh, I got a lot of knowledge to give out and just you know creativity and you know I think my delivery is always kind of cool I think people like storytelling. It's not uh, not bland like some people can be, or how old uh, old sportscasters used to be. And it's you know the new era of perspective. I think, and I think a lot of people appreciate my perspective over the years because I'm honest. I tell the truth, even if you don't like it. I tell the truth about myself, even if I suck. So you know, I just think that uh, I got hopefully got some opportunities lined up. But right now, I'm taking time away from it. If I, I just need to wake up, have my cup of coffee, make my kids breakfast, and take them to school and leave me the hell alone. And get 18 in. Adam Jones, my guest. My man, I've done this a long time. I've seen a lot of guys. I mean, I've seen careers start and finish. I've seen guys, kids start their careers. I've seen a lot of guys that were not ready when the end came. You sound like you are in a tremendous headspace. Your energy is good. You're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, there there is some place for you in the sport, whether it's in the front office broadcasting. You've always understood this. you got to tell stories. you got to give them a show. you got to give them energy. you got to be real. You understand these things. You are the last guy I would ever worry about. But I'm so glad we finally got caught up congrats on an amazing career i know we'll talk sooner next time than the last time and it's great to have you back man i appreciate you bro i appreciate it hope all is well and uh yeah let's uh let's speak a little sooner next time for sure we will adam jones my guest no doubt about that you in newport next time yeah man absolutely lunch on me no boo on you no no boo no boo on me. I got you. No, I got you. I know what you make. No, I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> then no boo on me based on what I make. <laughs> the future will be great, but today is just as incredible. Meet Nissan's most advanced lineup. If you can't get enough adrenaline, there's the all-new 400 HP Nissan Z. Or for your off-road adventures, check out the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. If you're more of a spontaneous road trip type of person, then hop in the Nissan Pathfinder. And for something more electric. Electric. There's the stylish Nissan Aria. So let's enjoy the ride. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Let me talk about Golden State for a minute. I want to get something very clear about last night's game. Luca was not out drinking before last night's game. Luca was not getting blasted before that game. There, there was not that going on. The photo circulating on social media yesterday of him with a beer was not taken yesterday. If you thought that was real and that yesterday was when that picture was taken and that he did not have his head in the game, if that's what you think, this guy was drinking before the game, didn't have his head in the game, you need to pull your head out your ass. Just as I know that some of you idiots think that you're actually in better shape than Luca and that he's... Well, how do I put this? Fat? Fat? I mean, no. This dude's not shredded. He's not a chiseled Dadonis. He looks like a Dadonis. He doesn't. But it does not mean that he was getting blasted and or baked 
or getting his grub on before game one of the Western Conference Finals. And saying that he was, and that's why he played the way he did, is one of the dumber things I've heard in a long time. Further evidence that most, even if they're nobody at all, can say or do whatever they want without any consequence at all. And further evidence that people like Nick Saban can think that he can say or do anything at all without any consequence. We didn't buy one player. But they bought all their players. Anyway, back to Luka quickly. Luka did not run into a beer or five before that game. He ran into Andrew Wiggins during that game. That's what happened. And as dominant as he was in abusing the Suns in Game 7, there was none of that last night against Golden State. In fact, Luka didn't do much at all. And he had to bust his ass for everything he did get. 20 points, 7 turnovers, and a minus 30 rating. A minus 30. And he came out of the game with a sore shoulder and a carved up face. And not to be that guy, but if that's how it's going to go for that guy, that series is already over. One game in. Not to be that guy. And it might be, though, because the dubs aren't the proverbial cone that Patrick Beverly said that Chris Paul is. In fact, that was a defensive clinic they put on last night. They did what nobody else has done in the postseason. They slowed down a one-man wrecking crew, and they made him look like just another dude. They made him look like what a lot of you clones think he actually is. Slow, fat, and unskilled. Again, a really dumb take and not accurate. But so is this notion that Golden State does not have anybody who can match up with Luka because Andrew Wiggins did a pretty good job. In fact, a damn good job at that. Clay Thompson had this to say about Wiggins and the job that he did on Luka. Started with Andrew. He was moving them puppies tonight. Uh, I just think our ball pressure and our help defense was spectacular tonight. Clay is so great. He is just one of those dudes. Whenever he opens his mouth, something good happens. He was moving them puppies tonight. He was moving them puppies tonight. He was. Damn straight. He was moving them puppies tonight. He was moving them puppies tonight. Moving them all 94 feet. Picking up Luca with them puppies everywhere. And just sticking to this cat. And if that's all he did last night, that would have been a great night for Wiggins. But it's not. In fact, far from it. Because when Steph and Clay could not hit the ocean in the first quarter. It was Wiggins who brought the offense as well. So what I'm saying right here is huge shout-out to Wiggins for last night because that's a dude who has taken a ton of crap over his career, and then he showed up big in the biggest game of his career. He had 19 points on 17 shots. Luka had 20 points on 18 shots. So Wiggins and Luka are a wash. The Warriors will take that every single night. Every night. And then cackle their way back to the NBA Finals. And as great of a job as Wiggins did on Luka, you know, no one dude is going to lock that dude up all by himself. He did have some help. And anyone who knows anything about this game and this team knows not only can Golden State light you up offensively, But shock of all shocks, they can shut you down defensively. That's actually a really good defensive team. Oh, Oh, Clay Green, a 
finishes the shot from the corner. Oh, wow. wow. That is outstanding. Look where he Woo. came from, Red. Look at this. All the way in the lane to and, get to that block. And if it wasn't Draymond Green, it looked like Stephen Curry may have gotten it. And then in the second half, when Curry and company finally did get rolling from deep, things got pretty horrible for Dallas because there were moments like this. Curry snags the rebound, pushes tempo, comes up to the right, dribbling through a loony screen, draws two defenders, gets to the corner, over the shoulder, throws it back out to half court. There's Draymond. Grabs it back to Curry for three. It's up and good. Curry relocated into a triple. Timeout, Dallas. The Warriors take a 17-point lead. That audio does not even do that justice. If you saw that play, you know how incredible that was. In fact, it was hilarious. Steph was not even throwing it to Draymond. He admitted as much. He just threw it over his head. But Draymond ends up with it and then moves it right back to Steph, who drops the dagger and the shimmy and the warrior faithful lose their collective bleep. Like I said, hilarious. Unless you're the Mavs. And considering Golden State is back to doing ish like that, and making Luka look ordinary, it could be a short series. Listen, I understand that losing game one is what Dallas does. Losing game one is what Dallas does, and Dallas is resilient, and they bounce back, and that Luka and his crew could not have shot the ball any worse than they did, and that's going to get better. I know this. I understand that. I could even argue that the Mavs have some matchups that favor them, and they can exploit them, and they'll have success. I know this crew is not looking for a place to lie down and die, that they're not just going to shut it down and choke on the big stage like the choke god Chris Paul and the Suns did in their own barn. I know all this, but I also know it's been a minute or two since they've been in this position, and Golden State's been there before, and they look like they never left. Serious statement last night by the Dubs. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody. The entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Rex Hoggard. Rex, it is so good to have you back. How are you, Rex? I'm awesome. I don't know how I can compete, possibly compete with Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Like, that, to me, is just amazing. Dude, isn't that great? Like, what's, What is your reaction to that? Uh, it, it's funny, Mark Schreiber, who of course the ESPN writer who covers both college football and golf for them now, he is here and he came and he was having, we were having this conversation about how surreal it is and he kind of just mentioned how many SEC coaches have reached out to him saying that they can't believe it either. Like this is one of those things, I think the line that he gave me was, this is the first time in Lane Kiffin's life that he's been speechless. You have these two titans going to war, it's amazing. 
Rex Hogger joining us. Well done, Rex. All right, so last year's PGA Championship was the site of, if not the best moment, certainly one of the best moments of Phil Mickelson's career, but he's not here to defend the title and take that victory lap, and it's not for physical reasons. How do you make of the entire, or what do you make of how the entire thing is played out for him? When I go back to Augusta and how it landed, that he wasn't there, and we all know that what the Masters means to Phil in his career. I mean, that's, he's going to be kind of define what he did there. For him not to be at, at Augusta, for him not to be at the Champions Dinner, that felt surreal. Talking with players and being on property this week, where he should have been celebrating that victory last year. You pointed out how much of a great accomplishment it was for Phil. I would argue it's one of the greatest accomplishments in all of golf. And, you know, here we are without Phil Mickelson. If it felt surreal at Augusta, it just feels sad this week. We're talking to Rex Hogger. Now, Rex, as you've written, the defending champ, Phil, he would have hosted the champion's dinner, but Dave Stockton, who is a two-time winner, said, quote, it was a fun evening. Phil was not missed. I think Phil would have been a big distraction. The story here this week is the PGA. End of quote. What do you make of that remark, and then what is your sense as to how the other, pl- other players feel about Phil and the situation? I think I saw where Dave was coming from, and I asked him that question, and he kind of went on to sort of explain how the Champions Dinner here at the PGA has changed over the last few years. It's become a much more intimate affair. It's essentially just the, the past champions, so it's, it's kind of a room of your peers and your trade stories and how much fun it was. And I guess in his mind, and I can see where he's coming from, had Phil been there, it would have been uncomfortable, I would guess, because what do you say to him? in that situation. Hello, Phil. How's everything going? I mean, we know everything's not going well. <laughs> we know things are in a bad place right now. I mean, and I don't know, there was a part of me that was wondering if he was going to subject himself, Phil, to all he was going to have to endure this week and answer all of those awkward questions and be under that intense spotlight. And so it was a huge part of me that last Friday when they announced that he wasn't going to be here, I completely got it. Like, I understand. Like, he if and when he ever does come back, it is going to be such a zoo, and this probably just wasn't going to be the week. Rex Hoggard is joining us. It seems to me like I understand that maybe this is not the week, but if he's going to have to take that medicine at some point, like if you want that to go away, you have to stand out there, and you've got to take this and own it and address it. Like the whole thing is entirely self-inflicted. Nobody did this to him. He's done it to himself. So why has he been unable or unwilling to undo the whole thing or come forward and address it and own any of it? And I don't know how it could. That's a really, really good question. But as we stand right now, if, if we were just going to kind of read into where he's going from here without any further context, I would guess that his next start, the next time we see him publicly, is going to be at the Live Golf event in London, where it'll be a very controlled setting, and there probably won't be a lot of media there, and he will be able to maybe control the narrative, which Phil has always wanted to do over the course of his career. After that, I just don't know how he how he ingratiates himself back into the setting. Talking with players this week, certainly Tiger Woods was outspoken on this, talking about this is all, as you pointed out, of Phil's own making. And even though there's no sympathy there, there's certainly empathy because you can look at, at what's happening to him right now, how everything has unraveled. Again, I'll go back to this was supposed to be a celebration, and you look at how far down he is, and I don't know how he digs himself out of this hole because he's always done it in his career, and he's had plenty of instances when he has run afoul. He's criticized Ryder Cup captains. He had a moving ball on a green at the U.S. Open. I mean, there's been so many chapters in his life that seem like huge missteps, and yet he's able to play his way out of it. He played well. He was America's champion, and everyone forgave him. I don't think he can do that this time around. 
it's so interesting what you just said. You're right. He's played his way out of every impossible lie. Like, nothing sticks to this guy, but not this time. You know, Rex, I'm trying to talk about the event itself, but you mentioned Liv. No matter what happens this week, it feels like the specter of Liv Golf is going to hang around the tour for a while. And as long as they're looking to throw a lot of money at guys, money, I mean, big-time money, is it inevitable that players will go to their events or are guys going to resist it? How do you see this playing out over the rest of this year? Oh, it's inevitable. Guys are going to go to that first event. I mean, by all accounts, I've been told that upwards of 70 tour players asked for releases to play in that first event in London, and they were all denied. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up at the 48-player field, which is so it's amazing to me that you had 70 guys trying to get in. But what's amazing to me is I think those players will still go and play. And at that point, the PGA Tour will have to draw the line and suspend them or expel them or whatever you want to do. And then it creates sort of this legal vacuum, which is where we'll probably spend the next year, if not a few years, trying to decide, are they independent contractors? Does the tour have the right to dictate where and when they play? It's going to lead to a larger scale conversation, but they're absolutely, they're, they'll have a field. In London, they'll have 48 players. It's probably not the 48 players they want, but they'll get 48 players. Rex Hoggard is joining us, so quick follow to that. How significant a threat is Liv to the PGA Tour? And then what do you make of Greg Norman's role in all of this? I think it's a significant threat. I mean, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan was here this week. He's been out more this year than I think I've ever seen him. The fact that they did deny those releases that I referenced last week into that first event, and I see this. I, under, I recognize that this is a real threat to the PGA Tour, but these types of releases are things they've done really historically since the beginning of time. I mean, just earlier this year, they gave PGA Tour members, two dozen PGA Tour members, releases to go play in the Saudi International, which is essentially run by these same people, and this is just a money grab, and these guys have always done it. So to ask how significant this is, they felt like it was significant enough to draw a line right here and say, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Talking to Rex Hoggard. Rex, you mentioned Tiger. Tiger did not get off to a great start. What kind of expectations do you have for him this week? And would making the cut be a good week for him? I kind of said the same thing at Augusta. I think you and I had this conversation. that I felt like 72 holes was going to be a reason to celebrate. And I still feel like that. I mean, if you look back at the Masters, I know he wasn't happy with his week. But after everything he's been through, and we all kind of know just bits and pieces of how extensive those injuries were to his leg and the surgeries and everything that he's had to go through i think it was a victory just to make the cut and i would make the same argument this week actually i wrote yesterday that it would probably be a bigger accomplishment this week because if you sort of look at the makeup of the field of the four major championships this is the best of those four as far as the world ranking goes and so to beat out 156 other guys and to play 72 holes i think it would be another victory and another step in the right direction What I find fascinating is how this is forcing Tiger, who has this tried-and-true ability to get ready and peak at major championships, he's having to rediscover the formula. And for him, doing it on a leg that's been rebuilt, doing it with a back that clearly is still bothering, it's a challenge. And I think what we're going to see over the next few years is him trying to find a way to play around all of these limitations. He's plus three with one hole to go. I mean, Rex, where do you come out on this? For instance, like I understand that he's trying to put this thing back together, but like you and I did talk about and we're talking about right now, the toll of playing major championship golf is really intense for Tiger. Like he can't put in the same amount of time that he used to to prepare. Knowing all that, why is he playing this week and why would he put himself and his body through all of this? I remember him walking up the stairs on Friday at Augusta and you could tell he was hurting, but as he kind of turned the corner to the clubhouse, 
and started up the stairs to the champion's locker room. That's, uh, that's the question that immediately came to my mind because the pain and really the agony, and it was such a struggle for him to get up those stairs. That's immediately where I want is, I know you can do this. You're Tiger Woods. I'm never going to doubt you. Like, I've just learned over the course of my career not to do that. But why would you put yourself through this? In his mind, and, and look, he, he fell back on the old hits when he was asked about it earlier this week. And do you feel like you can win? Absolutely, I don't show up unless I think I can win. I, I'd like to think he truly believes that, but to endure everything he has to endure right now, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. I have no idea why. Rex Hoggard joins me for another moment or so. What about Rory McIlroy? He got off to a very, very good start. How does he look to you right now? I was very high on Rory coming into this week. I think a lot of people were. I was at the Wells Fargo just two weeks ago, and he did all the things that Rory does well. He drove the ball unbelievably well. He hit his irons perfectly. I think if he would have just putted a little bit better, he'd probably had a really logistic, le- legitimate chance to win that. I think the fascinating stat I saw this morning is since Rory won his last major championship in 2014 at the PGA Championship, he is 35 over par in the first round in the majors. Wow. And it kind of showed you where – I think there's a level of pressure that has just built over those however many years since 2014 that I'm Rory McIlroy, I need to win major championships. And I think that manifests itself in too much pressure on Thursday, too much pressure on Friday. And I, we saw it at Augusta. By the time he got to the weekend, he opened with rounds of 73. He was really just playing with house money at that point. And he can go out and freewheel it and be Rory McIlroy. The fact that we're seeing that in the first round this week, I think that's huge. Hmm. Rex Hoggard, my guest. Rex Zonder Shoffley shot 68 today and looked pretty good doing it. How do you like where his game is right now? He teamed up with Patrick Cantley a few weeks ago in New Orleans when I was covering it at the team event, so it's kind of hard to, to parse exactly how well a guy is playing. But he and Patrick won that event going away, and it's because between those two guys, I don't know that they're doing anything bad with their game right now. I think when you look at the top echelon of players, and that's John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler and Xander and Patrick and all the ones we've mentioned that every part of their game is so good that if they just have an average putting week, that they're going to give themselves a chance to win. And if they have a good putting week, which is what, if you look at Sanders' stats this morning, he was first in the field and strokes game putting, he's going to have a chance to win easily. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the week sort of unfolds because the guys this morning, if you look at the forecast, they clearly got the better end of the draw because it's only going to get more and more difficult this afternoon. So between he and Rory, they can put some serious cushion in there. Rex, one last thought. What about John Rahm? You mentioned him briefly. What do you make of where his game is right now and how it lines up with his course? I think after falling out of world number one, it was sort of a wake-up call when Scotty Scheffler sort of bumped him out of that top spot. and He had gotten off to a slow start this season. He wasn't the John Rahm we are used to seeing. But what we saw in Mexico a few weeks ago at the Mexico Open, where it probably wasn't the best field in golf, but it was the John that we're used to seeing. It was the guy that plays very, very controlled golf, and that when he's on, he's going to be in a different class than many of the other players in the field. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit more. So I, I've mentioned, we've mentioned quite a few players. I think I could probably come up with 10 guys that I feel confident about, and certainly John's in that list. I like it. Golfchannel.com, senior writer, a co-host of the Golf Central podcast, famously Rex number 7, and a really good friend of the program. He is Rex Hoggard. Rex, thanks so much. Great job. Thanks so much, Jim. Hey, guys, let me ask you something. What are you doing when it comes to skincare? Yeah, that's what I thought. You probably have no routine whatsoever. Bad play. But this is where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. That's your problem. You don't have a plan, but you need one and now you do. 
As an example, let me recommend to you the skincare system level one. It's the easiest way to get started, and it comes with all the basics that you need to take care of your skin. The products included are a face wash, an exfoliating scrub, an AM moisturizer, and a PM moisturizer. Listen, you may think that you don't need a skincare routine, but you do. Trust me, I know I do. I'm in front of a camera every single day, so I take this seriously. And this plan and this routine work perfectly for me and in my process. But don't take my word for it. Tish Hanley has over 5,000 five-star reviews. 5,000 plus five-star reviews on their website from customers worldwide. And because Tish Hanley is sponsoring today's episode, they are offering you a great deal. Just go to tiege.com slash Rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. It's an amazing deal. T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. Let's go to San Antonio, Gino. Gino, what's up? <laughs> Romy. Sorry. Uh, I can't help but have a little gallows humor. I was thinking when you're like, this guy might win the smack off this year. And I was like, yeah, you know what would help Rome is if you took my phone call this year, unlike last year. But, you know, I get it. My fault. Um, this whole thing with Jimbo Fisher and Saban reminds me of an old Norm McDonald joke he told on Weekend Update where Jeffrey Dahmer was uh, at court and they were describing Norm's telling all the things he did. He ate the liver. He pulled the guy's heart out. He like cut his leg off and made a roast out of it. But in his defense, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer says he started it. That was the joke. I don't know. Either you think Norm McDonald's funny or you don't. But uh, my, my reason for calling today was this actually happened to me. Jungle Tourette's. We all know every single person listening to the show for any amount of time has got a bad case of it. I can't tell you how many parties or dinners I've been to where somebody says something and I just blurt something out and the whole table goes record scratch on me. But yesterday, I walk into my local liquor store and who's standing in there hyping his new bottle of bourbon called, tragically, Fingers, but Scotty Pippen. I lie to you not, Scotty Pippen is doing tastings around Austin. He happens to be in the store when I walk in. There's a whole line of people getting to sign the bottle they're buying. And I it, I just, off the top of my head, without even thinking about it, I go, no tipping Pippen! And the whole place just record scratches and stares at me. I kind of ease over, get my bottle of Tito's and skulk out. Nobody thought it was funny except me. Anyway, that was it, Rome. I will see you soon. Gino, come on, man. I, I mean, Gino might have done that. I, I want to call bullcrap on that and say you did not know tipping Pippin to no tipping Pippin and then live to talk about it because you know how he does not react well to that. Thomas in New Orleans. Thomas, what's going on? How are you? Romulus, what's up, brother? What's up? Hey, um, my call is a little off topic. I have a medically-ish question for you about possible reports of a yet-to-be-glossed variant of Jungle Tourette's. Um, <clears throat> the reports state that, you know, the clone experiences these symptoms when it finds her or herself in the unfortunate situation of growing roots on the couch, you know, 50 baked, 50 soft, listening to the show or watching the show, and then experiences symptoms of uh, accurately completing your sentences at a, a statistically impossible uh, rate, and most disturbingly, um, attempting to audibly uh, imitate albums' drops before they actually drop to absolutely no one or no 
uh, obvious animate object around. Um, Clones, I I implore you, if you've experienced these symptoms, please speak up. And boss, in your professional opinion, could this be a variant of uh, jungle Tourette's? I'm out. Let's go to Portland. James. What's going on, James? Jimmy, my man. And the darnest thing happened to me yesterday at the local CVS pharmacy. I walk in and Tiger Woods is in the place handing out his free samples of his new Oxycontin. I walk up starstruck and said, can I have one of those, Mr. Woods? He had me the pills and said, that'll cost you 10 bucks. I paused and then my jungle Tourette's totally kicked in. I blurted out, it says free sample, you cheap Mark in Hollywood. And for those clones who may not know what I mean, some say Mark in Hollywood looks like Tiger Woods, but I think Mark sounds like Tiger Woods. And unlike Alvie in the bedroom, I'm going to keep my RSVP short and sweet. So here we go. I just can't wait to start smacking off. War, Brad, and a box of glazed Krispy Kreme donuts. Come on! That's not a good No. You don't like that cup. I don't like that cup. Not a very good cup. James in Portland. On the line, walking the line, walking the line, over the line, broken off. Thinking he could just end it with, come on. Otis, brother, what's going on? Well, nothing like following a brain surgeon. Thanks for the vine, Romy Rome. Uh, hey, I figure if Tom Cruise can make a comeback after almost 40 years and do a sequel to the Top Gun, and Otis can rise up out of the mothballs and try an RSBP for that there smack off. Hey, Rome, I hear that Jim and Fall Rivers entered a mule in the Preakness. That's whack. Speaking of horse racing, Jim, I, I got a couple of suggestions for names for your future hay burners. Go with softball guy or my personal favorite, Poncho E. Tyrone. War Steve Elkington, War Nolan Ryan, War Eva Knievel, and that little know-it-all bastard Bob Truax, who burned up Gus Grissom, Tom Cotton, and the rest of them astronauts under Cape Canaveral. Hey, no! My man, Otis. Dude, so good to hear from you. Not good enough to get you in the field, my brother. But, you know, maybe you can build and work your way back in. That was some old school, old school jungle right there. He was a fifth place finisher in 03. His last actual smack off appearance was 05. Good night now!